is the keto diet dead? On today's episode of the Keto Camp Podcast, we welcome Chris Irvin, the ketologist, to dive deep into how to do keto right. Here we go. you are feeling the cognitive boost from keto, you're feeling the mood boost from it, that's a good sign that you're keto adapted because if you weren't producing ketones and using them in the brain, you would know because you would feel like crap. Your energy would be low, your mood would be poor, you know, your brain wouldn't be producing the right neurotransmitters to help you operate at a, at a high level and feel good while you're doing it. So if I think that is better than any blood test on that side of things is, is the feel of it because you can't fake the feel, you'll know if you're not. We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the Keto Camp Podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations so you could apply it and change your life. Your body was built to thrive. Your body is capable of healing as long as you identify the interference and remove it. I believe you are a masterpiece because you are a piece of the master. My name is Ben Azadi. I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper, Ben Azadi here, the host of the Keto Camp Podcast. Thank you so much for pressing play today. You can learn more about me over at benazadi.com. Today we have my friend, my colleague, the brilliant, the catologist, uh, Chris Irvin. And he's been on the podcast before. You might have listened to it. It was a couple of years ago where we took a deep dive into the carnivore diet. That was episode 219. Today we're going to deep dive into ketosis. You might have seen some people out there that I love and respect saying, oh, keto doesn't work for me. This is the end of keto and just a lot of negativity towards keto. You know what? There's a lot of... Uh, of, of that that I agree with because what we teach here at Keto Camp is not long-term ketosis, it's keto flexing. So I asked Chris that question, is keto dead? And we'll get into what he believes is the right way to do keto and how there's not really, it's not going away because it's a metabolic process, not necessarily a diet. Then we'll get into, okay, what are some of the amazing benefits that he loves about ketosis? How long should a person be in ketosis? What are some troubleshooting things we can do as somebody's making that transition from being a sugar burner to a fat burner? And I, I love Chris's explanation, and you're going to love it too, that he gave of how to, what is the difference between fat adaptation and keto adaptation? Those are two entirely different things. And the goal is to get the person you, fat adapted, and then eventually keto adapted. And you're going to hear about the benefits that are just enhanced once you reach that keto adaptation point, how long it takes, some things to troubleshoot to get there faster, and so much more. And then we end the conversation with a very important topic, which is why we both believe metabolic health and metabolic flexibility should be the focus, not dogma, not just ketosis forever, but metabolic health and metabolic flexibility. 
So you will love Chris. I love Chris. He's incredible. And if you don't follow him on Instagram, go to at theketologist.com and go follow him. Chris and I will be both speaking at KetoCon in Austin, Texas. So if you're not going to KetoCon, if you don't have a ticket for KetoCon, hey, go get your ticket. Uh, I'm going to actually be doing a keynote lecture and I'm bringing on... This is a you know a surprise. I'm going to bring on my colleague, Dr. Mindy Pels, and we're going to do a lecture together Saturday morning. And then I'm doing a meet and greet where I'm giving away over 200 paperback copies of my book, Keto Flex, for free. I'm taking care of the cost, first come, first serve. And over a thousand of those seed oil cards that are printed on a nice like business card, it looks like. So I'm going to give all that away. We're going to hang out there. You could get $50 off your ticket price for KetoCon when you go to ketocon.org and use KetoCamp at checkout for that nice discounted price. I also want to give you a heads up that I decided because so many people were asking, you might have asked the question, when's your next Keto Masterclass? Well, the answer is coming up in just a few days. I am working on a new presentation where I'm going to take a deep dive into what I believe are the four secrets to keto for long-term results. So if you want to spend an hour with me online and learn from me for free and then ask me some questions, head over to ketosismasterclass.com, ketosismasterclass.com, and sign up for your free spot. Get your free ticket right now. I will also be giving away free gifts. And uh, grab a pen and paper. Be present when you show up. This is going to be a game changer for your keto journey. So I hope to see you on that masterclass. I don't do these all the time, but the next one is coming up in a few days. So ketosismasterclass.com. All right, before I bring on Chris, I just want to take a minute to get to today's Apple podcast rating and review of the day. This five-star review comes from Seuss Grimm, titled Grid Show. I was obese for most of my life also. I found the keto lifestyle and have finally begun to understand why. Your show is amazing from diet and exercise to spiritual and emotional health. This podcast has it all. Inspiring guests and science to back it up. Thank you for helping me master this lifestyle. Oh, that is so wonderful. We have a similar backstory with you being obese for most of your life. That's the same story, my same story. I was obese for 24 years. And I'm so glad you're enjoying the show because, yeah, we, we t- definitely talk about keto and fasting and carnivore and all the, those amazing tools. But we also bring in the mindset, the spiritual, the practices of that as well because you cannot neglect the fundamentals of health. And those are definitely the fundamentals of health. I love teaching and learning about self-development and what I call the mental six-pack just as much as I love teaching and learning about ketosis and fasting. So thank you so much for listening to the show. Great job to you. Keep working on your incredible human body. This innate intelligence will go to work for you. Just keep removing the interference. If you have not left the show, a rating or review, what are you waiting for? Please, it really, I'm begging you. I'm on my knees begging you to leave the show a rating and review because it's honestly the lifeline, the oxygen for the show. Uh, We don't ask you to pay anything and we spend a couple thousand dollars per month to get these episodes edited and the notes and everything streamlined. And if you just took a moment, it'll take you less than 60 seconds to pause and leave a rating and review on whatever platform you're listening from, an honest rating and review, it'll really help. We're we're getting close to 1,000 total reviews. We're around 800. So we would love to get there in the next few months. And hey, maybe I'll give you a shout out and read your review on the next episode if you do that right now. Okay, 
Let's chat with the ketologist, Chris Irvin. Chris Irvin is a researcher and an educator whose sole focus is on low-carb and keto diets and their effects on health and human performance. He is a writer, the co-author of Keto Answers, and I love this guy. He's absolutely incredible. He plays basketball like me. We're going to probably play some basketball at KetoCon. We'll talk about that. And he is on the team of BioCoach. You're going to learn all about BioCoach. We love BioCoach. They're doing some great work. So without further ado, here's my friend, the ketologist, Chris Irvin. Chris Irvin, welcome back to the Keto Camp Podcast, my friend. How's it going, Ben? It's going outstanding, brother. It's good to have you back on the show. How are you? I'm doing good, man. Yeah, I'm glad to uh, to be back on here. I know, uh, I'm trying to think the last time we linked up was probably KetoCon last year. It's probably the last time we had a chance to chat. That was the last time we had a chance to chat and the first time that we've actually met each other in person. That's true. You're right. Actually, you know, it's so funny that I always forget that because we had been like connecting online and with podcasting for a couple of years before that, that like, I didn't even realize until you said it that day that it was like, yeah, I guess we've never actually met in person. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're, you're so right. It's so weird because we live in this world where it's so easy to connect with people, Squadcast, Zoom, et cetera, all this technology. But most of the time we haven't really met in person. So it was cool to hang out with you at KetoCon last year. Are you going back this year? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm always looking for an excuse to to go back to Austin. I lived there for about a year and a half uh, right after my wife and I got married. So still have like a lot of friends out there. And anytime there's an excuse to go out there, I, I usually do. So I'm, I'm pretty excited for this year as well. Are you going? Yeah, I'll be there as well. It's going to be it's going to be great. I think it's going to be even bigger than last time. And I, I remember we first met at Brian Sanders uh, event uh, at his compound, right? And you said you were you lived like a couple blocks right from that compound. Yeah, yeah. It was just like you could see the, like the apartment that I had lived in uh, from his place. And I'm, that's actually I'm really excited to go back to his compound, too. Because when we had that party that night, it was like very he had just moved in there very shortly before it. And he was sharing the vision for you know, what he was turning it into. And I haven't, you know, checked in with him to see how far it's come along. But like, it really sounded like that place was going to be sweet. So I'm excited to check that back out when I go. Yeah, I remember it was a beautiful spot. And now it's a year later or so. So yeah, I, I think he'll probably do something else. We got to check in with him to see if he's into another event. Otherwise, we'll convince him to do one. I was gonna say, if not, he's gonna have to have us over. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So KetoCon, by the way, for those watching and listening, it's uh, taking place the third week of April. Uh, 2023 in Austin, Texas, ketocon.org. It's an awesome event. My coupon code is KetoCamp to get $50 off your ticket price. I'll be there hanging out all weekend. Chris will be there as well. And Chris and I are both taller than you would expect. So when you see <laughs> this in person, we're going to be taller. I'm sure you get that all the time. Yeah. You're taller than I thought. I get the same thing. <laughs> I know. It's always great. Like, um, Especially, you know, I feel like at those events too, because you know, when you go out on like the expo floor, and it gets really packed, it's like really hard to, you know, navigate and like see everybody. But being a little bit taller than everybody, you can like find everybody that you're looking for and you want to talk with. It's a nice little perk for busy crowds. It is. It's also when I used to go to concerts, I used to go to a lot of concerts when I was younger. Great perk for being at a concert because it doesn't matter where somebody's in front of you. Yeah, you're going to be taller than them and you'll be able to see the stage. How, how tall are you, Chris? I'm 6'3". Yeah, six three. Yeah, so you're actually taller than me. I'm I'm uh, six two and a half. You got me by a half inch. Half inch. Well, you know, I always wonder. I haven't been measured since you know basketball, and I think actually when I was in college, they had marked me at like six four. But you know how it is with basketball; they're always you know trying to give you an extra inch on the yeah. program type of thing. So <laughs> you know, who knows? I might be a little closer to six two. You, know, you put the basketball shoes on, you get a little tippy toes. <laughs> they give you a couple inches. <laughs> 
Speaking of basketball, maybe we should plan something to play some basketball in Austin, dude. I, I yeah. know that you play, you still play like on a weekly basis, right? Yeah, I still play uh, two to three times a week. Um, and Austin actually has a really good basketball community. I was uh, pretty pumped about that when I moved out there. I had, had a friend out here in Tampa who lived out there and he connected me with some folks at like the YMCA out there. And then through the YMCA, I got plugged into a couple different like leagues that I played in. And surprise, I mean, I don't know, maybe I just didn't think of Austin as being a basketball city, but it just like really good competition, a lot of places to play. Like you can pretty much always find a run out there. So it's, yeah, we'll definitely have to do that when we're out there. I usually go back, um, whenever I'm in town, I usually go back to the, uh, the YMCA that's like right there off of Lamar. Um, cause that's where I have some, some old buddies that play. So I usually try to, it's just, the only problem is it's pretty early. It's about a five 30 or 6 AM run. So you gotta, you gotta get up. Oh uh, yeah. That's, that's pretty, I don't know if I'm going to do that. <laughs> maybe we could find an outdoor court and, uh, play some ball there. That yeah. would be awesome. I, I also play every Sunday. So yesterday was Sunday. I'm super sore. I've been playing with an, an outdoor park here in Miami beach. I've been playing with Misha Hyman. Do you know who Misha Hyman is? Uh, I don't know that I do. He's Mark Hyman, Dr. Mark. Okay. Hyman's no, I, I don't know, but I do know Dr. Mark. Hyman though. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Mark Hyman is pretty well known. So his son lives here in Miami part-time. Um, he's a keto chef. He's a great guy. I love him and he's awesome. So we've been playing every Sunday with a couple of buddies of mine and uh, we like to talk smack to each other. So, so far the series I'm leading him seven to two. So I beat him seven times. He's beat me twice, but he's really good. And man, it takes a toll on my body sometimes. Like today I'm super sore, but I love it. It's so cool to find like a sport or an exercise that doesn't feel like exercise. You get all like the oxytocin and dopamine benefits. Uh, so that's so so many benefits to playing a sport that you really love to play. Yeah, I mean, I, I always tell people like, you know, with exercise, I think everybody thinks that it has to be punishment, but it's like finding the things like that that you enjoy, you know, because like I play, like I said, about three times a week and, you know, I get anywhere between, I've measured it out on my Apple Watch where I'll get anywhere between like, you know, five to six miles of working on the court um, and that's, you know, kind of in like a high intensity style of training. And it's like, if I had to go run seven miles, like no chance, like I, I hate it. Like I don't, don't enjoy running. And also like, if I'm out for a run, you know, I'll push it for as long as I can, but I'm a little bit more likely to stop when I get tired versus like when you have competition and you're playing against somebody, there's just like, you, you push yourself to like an extra point. So like, for me, I feel like it's been really, you know, a lot of, a lot of times as an athlete, like when you get done playing your sport and you stop playing, it becomes really easy to get out of shape and, you know, pack on some weight and, you know, just lose that cardio piece. But I feel like that's been a really important thing for me staying in shape, especially since becoming a dad where, you know, maybe it's hard to get in the gym as frequently as I was before. Um, getting up and playing basketball has been something that allows me to, you know, maintain some sort of physique. So it's, uh, you know, I think it's important for people to find that competitive source of, of exercise that, you know, pushes them and they enjoy. Yeah, and it could, there's so many options out there. I mean, the, the the one that's the most popular right now is uh, pickleball. It's like the fastest growing sport. Have you played it yet? I have, yeah. So like, you know, during COVID, I feel like just like everybody else, you know, it, it got big because outdoor sport, you know, people are looking for things to do. And my wife got into it and we started playing. And actually out here in St. Pete, they have a lot of really nice pickleball courts. And they were already here. Like, this is kind of like an older, uh, at least it used to be like an older community. So I don't know if that's why. So they already had like a few, but I'm sure just like everywhere else, they started putting more in. So we play quite quite a bit. But the thing the thing I love most about pickleball is that, you know, other sports like basketball, like if you know if you're like us and you're taller, like you you know the physicalness of it can go a long way. Whereas like in pickleball, it doesn't matter how big you are, it doesn't matter how strong you are. Like I remember the first time I played, it was like my wife and her friend against like me and her friend's husband, 
and he's tall like me and they're both like really short petite girls and they kicked our butts like we we got completely blown out of the water by them so it's like it's a true like skill based game which i think is awesome oh that's awesome i have yet to play but i have so many friends that that play miami also has is a big pickleball spot also big basketball scene here too there's a lot of like basketball clubs here very popular sport here in, in miami and yeah to your point if i'm running it's definitely a different experience than if I'm playing basketball. And yesterday I played basketball like for two, two hours actually outside. It was a nice day, but I got over 13,000 steps in uh, two hours and it didn't feel like it, right? It was just playing basketball, a sport that I love and enjoying and playing. So yeah, find a sport, find something that you resonate with. There's so many sports available. There's a, there's, what is it called? The Frisbee sport? What's the name of it? Oh, um, ultimate frisbee. Well, which one? There's like ultimate frisbee. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I know Mark Sisson plays that down here in South Beach. There's, you know, so many things you can do. So that's a good way to start the conversation. I wonder who would win between me and you, Chris, in basketball. Well, maybe we'll have to we, we'll have to like live stream us playing one on one. Yeah, uh, we should. And we'll go into no X. You know, I won't let you see my game. You don't let me see your game. It'll be a true <laughs> raw experience, and we'll let uh, we'll see what happens. <laughs> I. I uh, I I think I'm pretty good in basketball. I imagine you're pretty good because you played, you know, in, in high school, right? Yeah, I played in college too, but I played uh, small college. So I, you know, I went to a really small school in um, like South Central Illinois. And yeah, I mean, basketball, like it's really, it was kind of my first true passion in life. Like me too. I have all these, yeah, it's like I have these stories from my mom about, you know, trying to teach me how to ride a bike and they'd have to like hide my basketball because I just wouldn't want to do anything else. And I think it was like also the first thing that taught me hard work, which is something that kind of like, you know, transcended into other areas of my life is like, you know, I wasn't, you know, growing up, I wasn't like the most skilled early on. And I didn't get big until later. I was actually pretty small until like halfway through high school. So it was like the first thing that I got to experience that like, oh, if you actually work hard at something, you can get good at it. Um, You know, even if you're maybe not the most like physically gifted or something like that. So like, I'm always grateful to it for that because I think it gave me these like tools and this mindset that has carried over into these other areas of life. That's a great lesson. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so for those who are not familiar with Chris, um, I don't know how that could be because he's the ketologist. Everybody knows who Chris is. Um, Chris was on the Keto Camp podcast before episode 219. We discussed carnivore and uh, the healing benefits of carnivore. And we both agree that carnivore is still to this day an incredible tool if used correctly. I want to transition today's conversation to more on keto. And here's where I want to start. You know, is is keto dead? Meaning <laughs> we see a lot of people in our space who used to love keto. And now they're saying, I, I stopped doing keto. You know, keto has these negative effects. And there's like a lot of keto bashing going on to these days. So is keto dead, Chris? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And, you know, I don't think it is. And, you know, I also get to come at this from a little bit of a marketing angle. And one of the things that you see, and it's been pretty cyclical for the last four or five years, is that, you know, every January uh, on the like Google trends, keto and ketogenic diet go to 100, like they're completely maxed out. And then, you know, they trickle down, it trickles down over the course of the year, a little bit of a spike in the summertime or before summer, and then kind of trickles down until, you know, the next January where it goes up again. And I think that the reason why is just because it's, it's such a solid diet for weight loss. I think the conversation around keto has shifted more towards using keto as a tool, um, using it to achieve like a certain goal, and then, you know, transitioning to, you know, whether it's a low carb diet, or, you know, doing some intermittent fasting, or whatever it is, carb conscious, whatever. So I think that a lot of people are kind of using it as a, you know, 30 to 60 day tool to, 
you know, maybe it's lose weight, improve their blood sugar, like the type of goals that people tend to have at the beginning of the year. So I don't think it's dead because we're still seeing that. But I think one of the things that gives it a perception of being dead is that a lot of, you know, influencers and and people who have been so big about keto over the last few years, I think have started to notice that the popularity is not what it once was. You know, in 2018, it was, you know, the popularity was high, but also the competition was lower. So people who were, you know, growing social media accounts, or maybe they had blogs, or, you know, these companies that have ketogenic diet food products and stuff like that, because of the, you know, the high uh, search volume for it, and the, you know, a lot of people looking for it, and the low competition, a lot of these companies and, and influencers were leaning into it. And now I think they're starting to see that it's it's kind of watered down, like there's a lot of people talking about it. I think there's also the fact that like keto is like everybody kind of knows something about keto now. So when people hear the term keto, like it's they have a preconceived notion, it's either good or bad, typically, right? Like not many people are following, like falling in the moderate middle on that. So I I think what's happening is a lot of influencers who have traditionally been so big on keto are trying to kind of rebrand themselves as, you know, non keto, or, you know, whether it's metabolic health focused, or, you know, something else. And it, it kind of gives this perception that it's dead. But, you know, when I it's funny, like, a couple of years ago, or probably about a year ago now, I, I did like a poll on Instagram where I asked people like, you know, do you want to see more uh, keto content? Or do you want to see and I listed like some other things. And, you know, it was like 97% of the responders were like, I want to see more keto stuff. So, you know, I, I don't know that it's growing the same way that it once was, but I still think it has a, a really solid base. And, you know, I hope it doesn't disappear, because it's one of those things where, you know, we know that it's a great tool. And I actually think that the way that we've kind of evolved our thinking about it, about using it more as a tool instead of this like, you know, all in or all out type of diet, I think is actually the right way to look at it. So I hope that people continue to embrace it that way, because it's it can provide so many benefits, so many benefits. And I'll, we'll get into a few of them. But yeah, you're right. You know, I, I see a lot of um, keto influencers over the last few years, who are potentially not doing keto anymore, like Paul Saladino is one of them. I know Thomas DeLauer has said some things as well. And when I first started keto camp, my approach was, Keto is great. It's an incredible metabolic process. So it's not going away because it's not a really a diet. It's a metabolic process. But I think there should be a conversation around the metabolic flexibility part and not just being dogma, right? You just said it, right? So we use it as one tool of many tools out there. And that's what I teach at Keto Camp. We know we use it as a tool. We want to be really efficient fat burners when we need to be, really efficient glucose sugar burners when we need to be. And that's not going to go away. But to your point, the popularity of a keto diet might be trending down, but the fact that it could help you achieve this metabolic flexibility, I think that's always going to be there because it always has been. There's nothing new about keto. Yeah, totally. And I think like that's that's been my biggest realization. Like, you know, when I first started, you know, I was coming from working in a lab where we were doing a lot of keto focused studies and, you know, I was very new to it. I was very hot on it. And I definitely was of the mindset that like, you know, most people should be on keto. Uh, it's a great diet. When you start it, you should follow it. Like, I was always kind of, you know, this narrative of like, the longer you follow it, the more you start to experience these more robust benefits and this deeper level of like keto adaptation. And then, you know, continuing to like work with different populations of people and hearing anecdotes and reading the research. And I think what I've kind of adjusted my thinking to now is that I think the, you know, you said keto is a powerful metabolic process and being able to get into ketosis easily, I think is a great sign of proper metabolic health. So and then, you know, being able to be in that state of metabolic health, and then utilizing ketosis when it makes sense. So, you know, if you want to utilize, like, say you want to lose, a, you know, lose some pounds, 
but you want to feel good while you do it. Like keto is a great way to do that. Like, you know, having ketones present during the weight loss process, I think is superior to not, you know, it's, I think you feel, tend to feel better. You tend to have more energy, you know, a little bit more satiety, things like that. Um, maybe if you're trying to, you know, increase your brain function in the morning, you use intermittent fasting as a strategy to increase your ketone levels because you're, you're at a metabolic state that allows you to do that very easily. Like that's how I think it should be used. I don't think that, you know, we don't need to be in ketosis 24-7, 365. I think we just need to be able to easily get there is the goal. I mean, you know, everybody talks about the ancestral component of it. And that really is, you know, I'm not so married to the idea that we should be living the exact same way that our ancestors did, or, you know, only, you know, doing the things that they did. But the fact is, is that that's something they were always able to do just by way of not being able to overeat for one, and not being able to really overeat carbs for sure, because you know, the sources were so limited that they were always able to transition into the state of ketosis. And I think when you kind of know the metabolic processes and all the things that happen with ketosis, you realize that like, cycling in and out of it periodically throughout the year is going to provide a ton of benefits, you know, from both short term and long term benefits. So that's kind of been the way that I've reframed my thinking around it. And you know, I think, I think that's kind of where the conversation is going more now too. Yeah, and I'm happy to see that. And, and uh, that's exactly the way I teach it, right? It's the premise behind keto flexing. Let's get you fat adapted, keto adapted, and then we could flex out and go back in into ketosis. And like you said, that's a good barometer of how healthy your metabolism is. How soon can you enter ketosis? How how do you feel, etc. And the way that I view ketosis is as a scarcity slash survival kind of mechanism, because that's what happened with our ancestors. And to your point, we shouldn't do everything that our ancestors did. But they were forced into times of famine, or it was the winter, and there was just protein and fat, there was no carbohydrates. So by necessity, their body, their metabolism had to have the ability to break down fat, and that liver needed to produce ketones, otherwise their brain uh, would drop in glucose, and they wouldn't be able to focus, they wouldn't be able to hunt and kill. So it signals to your body that you are going through a stressor. But the wonderful benefits that occur from this perceived stressor is incredible what it does to strengthen the mitochondria and create more mitochondria and more energy. But it comes to a point where the benefits could start to slow down and then decrease, right? That hormetic curve will start to drop. So then the question is, okay, then what is how long should I do keto? How often should I uh, flex in and out? And what would be your answer to that question? Yeah, so that's, that's a great question, too. And I think it kind of goes back to I was having a I was back on my uh, old university, I went to University of Tampa for grad school, and I was talking with one of my nutrition professors. And we were talking about how you know, everybody's really dogmatic with nutrition. And, you know, one of the things I, I kind of realized in that conversation was that I feel like a, a good approach for looking at any sort of diet is to look at like, what's the end goal that we're trying to get to and using those markers, uh, and then looking at what are the different ways that you can improve those markers. So like, for me, you know, I think that metabolic health is is very important. I think it's at the central of, of our health in general. I think that, you know, most chronic diseases, and just chronic health complications are rooted in metabolic dysfunction. So I think that that's really what we want to focus on. So, you know, looking at important metabolic health markers, you know, we're talking blood sugar, A1C, fasting insulin, uh, triglycerides, you know, HDL to triglyceride ratio, um, all of these different markers, you know, even HSCRP, I think is really important for it. Like, I think the the goal is to look at those markers and try to get them into a range that is is healthy and then trying to stay there. So you know, I think that if you're coming from a position of, you know, very poor metabolic health, keto is a great way to get there. So you know, what I would recommend to people, like, I don't think you can give a straight up answer of like, hey, this is how long it will take for you to improve that. 
But I think that if you follow keto for say 30 days, and then you go get your blood work done, and you see that, you know, maybe you've made some improvements, you know, towards improving those markers, but you're not quite there yet. You know, maybe you cycle out for, you know, a, a brief period of time, you kind of maintain a low carb diet, there's actually great research on, um, you know, cycling out of keto into low carb, and then back into keto, you know, I think something like that could could be beneficial, or maybe if you're still feeling good, because, um, you know, as much as we talk about that hormetic curve, I think that when you when you surpass that curve, I think you notice it, like, you feel lack of energy, you're not getting very good sleep, maybe you have like limited strength in the gym, maybe your moods dipping, like, if you're starting to experience those things, then that's a sign that you know, you probably need to dip out of ketosis. But if you're still feeling great, then I say you kind of keep pushing it until you start getting those markers where they need to be. And that's when I think you, it's time to, you know, fall into a more of a maintenance phase or flex out as, as you kind of call it, and kind of stay in this like, low carb, you know, carb conscious state that allows you to maintain those health markers. So, you know, I've seen pretty in incredible improvements from, you know, 30 days to 60 days of people being able to, you know, get their A1C from pre diabetic range to, to normal, um, being able to get their fasting glucose, you know, from again, pre diabetic to normal. So that's kind of the way that I look at it is that, you know, we should be using, you know, I don't think we should just be using a goal weight, or we should be using some arbitrary like, oh, I'm on a 30 day diet type of thing. Like, I think we should be looking at the health markers that we're trying to improve, and then monitoring those and, and you know, keeping with it until we get to where we want to be. Well said. Yeah. So those those lab markers are very important. A1C, fasting insulin, fasting glucose, postprandial glucose, HSCRP, triglycerides, HDL, getting the ratios. That's a great idea. But also how you feel, uh, you know, to Chris's point, like if you notice you're just not feeling as good, might be time to switch things up. Hey, when was the last time you bit into a juicy burger or a perfectly cooked steak and thought to yourself, this is the best thing I've ever tasted. If it's been a while, it's probably because most meat products are conventionally raised, which not only affects the flavor profile, but significantly diminishes the beneficial nutrients and minerals. And believe it or not, even products that are labeled as grass-fed or ethically raised to make you think they're high quality are often finished on grain or in factory farms, which is why I am so excited to share something with you today that will not only help you avoid the hormones, antibiotics, and pesticide residues that diminish the taste of conventionally raised meat, but could also save you nearly $1,000 over the next year on your grocery bill. And the best part? This may be the best tasting thing you've had in a long time. So what the heck am I talking about? I'm talking about Wild Pastures Meat Delivery. They provide the highest quality meats from small, regenerative, family-run farms here in the United States that prioritize sustainability and animal welfare. Their beef is 100% grass-fed. Their pork and poultry are pasture-raised, something you won't find anywhere in the grocery store, resulting in meats that are not only healthier for you, but also better for the environment. One of the reasons why me and my fiance Natasha loves wild pastures is that we can opt out out of supporting harmful conventional farming practices and instead support small family-run farms without spending a fortune. And the convenience doesn't stop there. They offer delivery straight to your door so you can enjoy delicious, high-quality meats without even leaving your house. No matter where you are in the lower 48 states, 
Wild Pastures has got you covered. Not only is this the most convenient way to get your meat products, but wild pasture meats are better for you nutritionally, and they're higher in the total nutrients, phytonutrients, antioxidants, key fatty acids, vitamins, minerals, proteins, and amino acids. And today, for keto campers, for a limited time, you can get 20% off every box plus free shipping for life and $15 off your first box. This is a crazy deal, and I hope you take advantage of it. So make the switch to Wild Pastures today and save nearly $1,000 on your grocery bill while feeling healthier and enjoying the best-tasting meats of your life. All you need to do is go to the link in the podcast notes down below. Everything is already applied. All you got to do is click that link, customize your order, and you'll have some delicious, healthy-tasting meats very soon. Head to the podcast notes down below, click the link, enjoy your wild pastures. Okay, let's get right back to this episode. You're right. The majority of the American adult population, they really need keto. Um, that study in 2018 from the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, pointed that out, that 88% of American adults are unhealthy. They are, are in essentially in a, in a keto deficiency. They're keto deficient. So we got to get them into ketosis. Those individuals might need to stay in ketosis a little bit longer versus somebody who's somewhat healthy, does keto for 30 days or 40 days. They could start flexing in and out much sooner, but it's going to be so different depending on the person. Like when we think about Paul Saladino, who I totally respect, I think he's a really brilliant guy. I've interviewed him twice, uh, but he teaches what he does, which is eating two to 300 grams of carbs from fruit every day and doing a little bit of some intermittent fasting. And that will work for somebody who's metabolically healthy. But if somebody is obese and who has insulin resistance, consuming two to 300 grams of carbs per day from even from quality fruit, just not going to get them to where they want to get to. Totally. Yeah. I mean, that's like, you know, when you hear all these, this pushback towards keto or, or even, you know, push for keto, it's like, nobody's really looking at the individual and that's what matters. You know, when you see, like, I'll get a lot of people, if I post something about keto, they'll say, you know, like, oh, you're trying to say that like fruits unhealthy. It's like, well, no, but if you're insulin resistant, having a lot of it probably doesn't make much sense. Right. Right. I mean, the way, the way that I look at it is that, you know, if your body is utilizing carbohydrates, well, then consuming them is fine, especially whole food ones, right? Like, I don't think we're getting a lot of benefits from eating processed carbohydrates, but you know, if your body uses them well, like for me, I'll use, you know, fruit before I play basketball in the morning. Like I've, I did too. playing. Yep. Yeah. You know, it's like I did basketball play, doing keto for a while and it was okay. But then I kind of noticed that it wasn't really giving me everything I needed. So I started incorporating, you know, like a banana and some berries before. Um, I'll actually usually do some exogenous ketones too and combine them. And I find that that works really well. So, um, but that's only because I'm metabolically flexible, right? Like when I, you, when I consume those, you know, my insulin system is working well and I'm actually putting those to, to good use. You know, I worked with a couple of years ago, I worked a NFL combine camp. It was uh, prepping these guys for the NFL combine so that they would, you know, be able to perform well and, you know, increase their draft status. And, you know, athletes tra traditionally are always so big on carbohydrate consumption, right? Like you got to consume carbs, carb loading. And, you know, some of our like offensive linemen, for instance, a lot of them needed to lose weight, like they needed to be in a, a certain weight range for them to be able to get drafted, like they wanted to see them in this certain number. And so a lot of them, you know, their traditional dietitians have been talking to them was, you know, trying to just have them restrict calories, but keep carbs high. And I kind of told him, I was like, I get where you're coming from. The carbs can be an ergogenic aid, but like, let's look at your blood work. If you're insulin resistant, 
then you're not getting the ergogenic aid from these carbs because they're they're just not able to provide you the benefit that they should be. So like if we're going to consume these things, you know, especially two to 300 grams of it a day, like we have to make sure that our body is primed to be able to use them. And to your point, that study out of North Carolina says that 88% of us aren't. So that doesn't mean that it's a forever thing. You know, it doesn't mean that we'll never be able to use those carbs, but it does mean that we need to do something to improve our ability to use them if we're going to consume them. And, and that's where I think keto is so strong. So strong. And that study came out before COVID. It probably is much higher because of what happened in the last three years. Yeah. So there, there is a conversation around this fat adaptation. You know, those people, 88% that are metabolically unhealthy, they're what we call sugar burners. They're primarily using sugar for energy. They're well-equipped and really well at burning sugar, but the body has forgotten how to utilize the other pathway, which is um, this ketogenic energy system that is um, very important to get into. So what is the difference, though? How would you explain the difference between somebody who's fat-adapted, what does that mean to you, versus somebody who's now keto, ketone-adapted? Yeah, that's that's interesting because a lot of times we don't make a distinction between the two. I think that like, especially over the last couple of years, keto adaptation and fat adaptation have been used interchangeably. Um, but I think if you look at the body and how it like the, the metabolic processes in the body, you see that there's actually a pretty drastic difference between the two. So, you know, I think being fat adapted is being in a state of, you know, uh, at baseline, lower blood sugar, lower insulin. I think when you're in a state of low blood sugar, low insulin, you're better able to burn fat. And if we're burning fat, you know, just we're releasing stored fatty acids from our fat cells into our bloodstream, our uh, cells are taking them and using them for energy. You know, that to me is fat adapted. Keto adapted is a little bit different because it's involving ketones as the energy source instead of fat. And, you know, ketones are going to be, they're going to get access to our cells through a different mechanism. They're going to be using these MCT transporters. And what we see when we look at the research is that, you know, if we haven't been in ketosis, uh, which, as you pointed out, for most of us on the standard American diet, we're not operating in any sort of ketosis throughout our day to day. We're consuming carbs all throughout the day, high meal frequency, not, not very big gaps between our meals. So if you haven't been in ketosis very much, then these transporters, they're not as active. And you know, you can actually be producing ketones, but you can there can be a lag between when you're producing these ketones and when your cells are actually utilizing them. So for me being becoming keto adapted is as you've become efficient at actually using those ketones, which it can be a difficult thing to measure. And I don't think that we have the most clear answer on this. But I what I tend to look at is that I actually think and it's maybe counterintuitive that when your blood ketone levels or, you know, if you're using urine, it's not the most accurate, but in this case, it can help a little bit. But if you're testing your blood ketones and you've been following keto for a while and you start, you know, you might see like a big spike at the beginning where your ketones are very high. But when you talk to people over time, you know, they start to notice that those start to taper off. And to me, that's a sign of being keto ad adapted because it doesn't make sense. Your body doesn't like to produce excess. It's not efficient for the body. The body likes to you know, produce what it needs. It doesn't want to have to necessarily work harder to make something that you're not going to use. So I think that when your blood ketones start to become a little bit more normalized, maybe it's different for everybody, but that could be between 0.3 to 1.0. That's where I think you're showing that you might be keto adapted because you're utilizing more of what you're actually producing. You know, if there's less in the bloodstream, then, you know, we would think theoretically that that means that you're using more of them. So that's the difference to me is that it's not just that we're producing them, it's that we're actually using them. It's a really important point, and you're so right. A lot of people think I need to get more ketones. I need to test my blood 
glucose with uh, whatever, and I need to make sure my ketones are 3.0, 4.0. And in the beginning, you might see higher ketones because your cells are not really using it to Chris's point. But as you get more keto adapted, and now the mitochondria are now really getting good at using ketones as an energy substrate, the blood ketone readings are going to be much lower. And that's actually a good thing. I have a lot of my students who are like, oh, what happened to me? I was getting 3.2, 3.8. Now I'm four weeks into it. I'm getting like 1.8. I'm like, that's a good thing. Your body and your brain is actually using it. But uh, you're right. There's no way to really test if somebody's keto adapted unless they go into a lab and do some really extensive testing. But I always tell people what you just said to look at those ketones. But also, typically when somebody gets keto adapted, they notice the brain benefits, right? Because we know the, the most of the mitochondria is in the brain. So that's what's going to really utilize a lot of the, the ketones. And they notice, wow, I just feel like uh, another level of like clarity and my brain fog has gone away. That's typically a sign of somebody getting keto adapted. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, that's some great work um, by Dr. Stephen Kunain that's looked at, you know, energy metabolism in the brain and throughout the body. You know, he talks about how if you know, the rest of our body will preserve ketones for the brain, like the brain is, um, they're kind of the best users of ketones. And you know, the brain also is not very good at using fat for energy. So in a state of low glucose, you know, the body kind of from a survival mechanism has preserved these ketones for the brain, because your muscles can use these other energy sources. And in a pinch, your muscles could even burn protein if they needed to. So you know, it really makes sense for them to save these ketones for the brain. So that is the biggest thing, like, if you are feeling the cognitive boost from keto, you're feeling the mood boost from it, that's a good sign that you're keto adapted. Because if you weren't, and you're not consuming glucose, and you're probably in a calorie deficit, because I do think most times on keto, we just inherently end up in a calorie deficit. Well, maybe not as much anymore with some of the, you know, the a lot of the hyper palatable keto friendly foods that have come on the market. But typically, if you're doing a whole food keto diet, you end up in that calorie deficit. If you weren't producing ketones and using them in the brain, you would know because you would feel like crap. Your energy would be low. Your mood would be poor. You know, your brain wouldn't be producing the right neurotransmitters to help you operate at a, at a high level and feel good while you're doing it. So if I think that is better than any blood test on that side of things is, is the feel of it because you can't fake the feel. You'll know if you're not. Yeah, you'll know. That's why I call it the great land of ketosis because it just feels like a superpower. It really does, especially if you're somebody like an entrepreneur who needs to be on top of their game or a mom or a dad who needs to be there and like present with their children. Uh, you're going to notice that difference right there. I've seen it typically ha on average and it's going to be different for everybody. But with my Keto Camp Academy students, I've taken thousands of people through these protocols. I've seen on average between the eight to 12 week mark that they start to notice those benefits, meaning like keto adaptation. That's what I've seen. What do you think about that estimation, the eight to 12 weeks of that keto adaptation for the average person? Yeah, for sure. I do think I, I kind of alluded to it earlier, but I do think that there's kind of different phases of it. So, you know, I think that a lot of times after a couple of weeks, people will start to experience some level of keto adaptation. And some of it does depend on where you're coming from. So, you know, if you're coming from a state of really poor metabolic health, you know, really high fasting insulin, really high A1C, it might take a little bit longer for you to experience those benefits. You have, you know, a little bit bigger of a hole that you have to dig out of. Um, but I think for most people around like the two to three week mark, you'll start to experience, you know, some pretty noticeable, robust improvements. But if you and the problem is, is most people tend to fall off after, you know, that four week mark, because, you know, if you're trying to lose 20 pounds, which I always feel like is a common amount of weight people want to lose, you can do that in 30 days on keto. So a lot of people will hit like a weight loss goal, and then they'll kind of fall off of it. But the people who stick through it, I think tend to notice that at six weeks, wow, I've actually experiencing like a new level of benefit, like that cognitive boost is a little bit more robust now. 
Um, I'm actually noticing changes in my sleep now. My stress is a little bit different than it was before. And then, you know, as you continue going, I think, you know, you get into that eight to 12 week mark. Um, that's, and I think the, that's a good number too, because it does seem like it probably peaks around that time. I think when you get to about eight to 12 weeks, you're probably not going to experience in terms of the way that you feel and the level of keto adaptation. I don't think you're going to push it much further than that. I think you're kind of reaching like the pinnacle at that point. But also there's so many other reasons for it too. You know, outside of just the ketones, we're also talking 12 weeks of you not eating sugar anymore. You know, 12 weeks of you're not drinking soda, you're not eating bread. You know, hopefully you're also cutting out some seed oils along the way. So, you know, I think there's also a little bit of that going on that the longer you're following, you know, you're in the state of ketosis, that's the longer that you're staying away from a lot of the other harms. You know, keto is a lot about what you put in your body in the presence of, of ketones, but it's also a lot about what you're not putting in your body too. Um, so I think that's playing a role as well. Yeah, absolutely. What about the person who's watching or listening and they're like, but I, I, I've been doing keto for three weeks now and I'm not even, I'm barely seeing ketones. You're, you're talking about too much ketones in the beginning. I'm seeing 0.3 sometimes, but I'm doing less than 30 grams of carbs per day. I don't feel that great. They're having a, a hard time adapting, getting fat adapted. What's going on with that person and what will you recommend for them to feel better as they make that transition? Yeah. So, you know, it could be several different things going on. And if you would have asked me a, a few years ago, I probably would have had a different answer than I do now. Um, but now just from the the current state of keto and the fact that, you know, you can go into a grocery store and you can find, you know, whole shelves full of keto friendly or, you know, labeled keto friendly foods. You know, I think that if you actually put these to the test and if you see like what we do at BioCoach, like we take like all of these products that come on the market and we do blood sugar tests with them to see what the responses are. And we found some pretty crazy things like, you know, there's some companies that will be marketing products as like three grams of net carbs that I've seen double my blood sugar. So, you know, when you get people who they think that they're, you know, I'm eating these keto friendly foods, my net carbs are really low, but maybe their total carbs are really high and they're actually nowhere near a state of ketosis because their blood sugar is, you know, getting spiked up to 120, 130 from some of these keto friendly treats. I think that that is tends to be a big reason why. Um, but there can be a lot of other reasons for it too. You know, if, if our body is really inflamed, uh, so, you know, maybe you've cut out a lot of processed foods, but uh, you're also consuming a lot of, you know, seed oils and things that are, are pro-inflammatory, then that could be another reason why, you know, these mitochondria are sensitive. There's a lot of different things that affect our mitochondria and inflammation is, is one of those things. So, you know, we're not going to be so efficient at um, utilizing these ketones or, or producing them if we're in a state of really high inflammation either. So, I think that sometimes it comes down to looking at like, there's no hacking keto. Like in my eyes, a ketogenic diet done right is consuming, you know, probably 80 to 90% of your calories from whole foods. You know, like I, I think that there is a place for these keto friendly treats because, you know, I think we have to like a really important thing with diets, not just about what's optimal. It is about meeting people where they're at. And, you know, if you are, you know, somebody who comes from an Italian family and, you know, you're used to eating pasta every night, like, you know, just going to eating salads or something is like going to be challenging. So like, you know, maybe you reach for like some of these like low carb pastas out there that maybe aren't the most keto friendly, but you know, they're better than the alternative. Like I do think there's a place for that and helping people get to the state of eating, you know, this whole food diet. Um, but if you're, you know, what I think most people are doing now where, you know, 70 to 80% of your calories are coming from these packaged keto friendly foods. I think that's a big reason why people aren't getting into the state of ketosis. And there can be a lot of other, you know, like more metabolic based reasons to, you know, maybe you're uh, putting your body under a ton of stress. Um, you know, maybe you're actually eating in a, a crazy calorie deficit that's like 
putting your body in this, this kind of like state of like, you know, wanting to hold on to everything, like not burning very fat, very efficiently because of concerns about having enough stored fat and things like that. You know, those things are possible too. And the easy way to vet that is just to look at your diet. You know, if your diet's looking like what is now like, I would say like the standard American keto diet, then that's probably what's the issue if you're sitting with low ketone levels. Um, but if, if you're eating a pretty clean diet, then maybe it's just like you need to look at your activity level, you need to look at some of your stressors, your sleep, you know, and things like that. So um, but yeah, mo most times, I think it's that we're, we're eating these super hyper palatable calorie surplus, uh, keto friendly foods, and it's probably not ideal. Yeah, it's definitely not ideal. You know, think about the popularity of keto. That's why these products are all over the place. But keto friendly does not mean health friendly. There's a big difference, usually a huge difference. And also to add to what you just shared, yeah, people are also eating pretty much every waking hour, they're awake, uh, 18 hours out of the day, and we're not designed to eat so frequently. So think about the meal timing, the better we could get those calories earlier on in the day, and the more time fasting and digesting before bed, the better your numbers are going to look something that I just recently read in Dr. Sachin Panda's new book, The Circadian Diabetes Code, he was talking about the dawn effect. A lot of people struggle with high blood sugar levels in the morning. And I've done some things with my students in the past, but one of the things he recommended, and I'm going to experiment with this, he recommended, of course, giving more hours of fasting before bedtime. We know that's going to be beneficial for morning blood glucose, but he also recommends doing um, exercise after your last meal. So if, for example, if you ate at 6 p.m. and you typically have higher blood sugar levels in the morning, this dawn effect, he claims doing like 15, 30 minutes of exercise, it doesn't have to be intense after your last meal will show lower uh, blood glucose levels in the morning. Have you done any experiments like that? Yeah, for sure. So I, that's something that I first picked up on this in college. And it was kind of, uh, it was almost by accident. Like we had a, a habit in the lab that I worked in where after every meal, we would just go for a walk. Uh, and we weren't really doing it for blood sugar levels, or we weren't really doing it like, you know, for anything keto related, it was kind of just a it was more of under like the neat principle, like trying to get some of that non-exercise induced activity. Um, and, you know, we just thought that it made sense. Like, oh, if you eat, if you get out and walk at the time, we actually thought maybe it would be better for digestion, but there's maybe some question on whether or not it is good for digestion to get out and walk afterwards. But like we were doing these things and, you know, because we were experimenting so much and measuring blood sugar, we were seeing these reductions in blood sugar. And, you know, I didn't think too much about it at the time, because to be honest, you know, this was back in 2016. I was more focused on ketones. I wasn't really thinking about, I only thought about blood sugar in as far as it needs to be low to have your ketones elevated, but I wasn't really focusing on it as like an important individual health marker. And then as you know, I kind of evolved and, and thought more about these things and started realizing how important it was. And then, you know, I, I think I actually was through talking to um, uh, Jesse and Chaspe, glucose goddess, uh, you know, she talks all about a lot of these different blood sugar hacks. And she um, was talking about, you know, showing some of her studies, her personal studies of going for walks after consuming some, you know, higher carb meals and showing these crazy reductions in, in blood sugar spikes, like pretty, pretty significant. So I definitely think there's something to that. And it's, you know, it's probably coupled with the, you know, there's this idea of we shouldn't eat too late in the evening. And you hear there's so many different camps on this, there's the it doesn't matter, you know, as long as the calories are under control. And there's some people that swear that if you eat too late in the day that you're going to store fat you know, I think that's a pretty nuanced conversation. But I think that if you're like, that's, that's a strategy that I've implemented pretty religiously over the last couple of years where, you know, me and my wife after dinner, we'll go out for a walk. And we have a little little kid now and a dog. So we have things that need to be walked anyway. So it's a it's an easy excuse to do it. But I, you know, I, it's at least anecdotally, I can say for myself that my fasting blood sugar levels are 
are healthy. And, uh, and I even do consume carbohydrates in the evening sometimes. Like now, since I've become a little bit more metabolically flexible, you know, I will have like sweet potatoes here and there or have, you know, some more fruit and things like that. So even despite that, I'm still noticing that my fasting blood sugar is staying in, in a healthy range. So I think the, the evening exercise is helping with that. Yeah. And, and when you say you have carbohydrates in the evening, you're not necessarily saying you eat carbs and go to bed. Is that correct? Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like just with my, with my meal, you know, with dinner, yeah. you know, and some, a lot of times it'll depend on, you know, what my day of activity has looked like. You know, if I've exercised later in the day, then, you know, I'll, I'll usually try to have, you know, something at night, uh, really depending on what phase I'm in. Like, you know, right now I'm actually in a, a weight gain phase, which is maybe different from, um, you know, some people's like goals in life, but I, I actually kind of noticed I got a little bit too light last year. Um, for where I like to be for feeling strong in the gym and, and, you know, playing sports and stuff. So like right now, as I'm trying to gain weight, I'm actually incorporating, you know, more carbohydrates um, to help get more calories in and things like that. As summer approaches in spring, when I, I start to go towards, you know, eating, I, I really try to focus on eating seasonally. So, you know, when summer rolls around, like I won't eat as many sweet potatoes, like I'll have some fruit, but it's usually like lower glycemic things. But the only thing that I've ever done in the evening with carbs that I found to be beneficial is having some blueberries before bed, you know, and I think there is something to some of the neurotransmitter production that you'll get if you have some but like, that's a lot different than consuming a bowl of ice cream before bed, which is what most people are doing when they're consuming carbs, right? So that you know, that's just a strategy that I've found work. But yeah, definitely not like a, you know, consuming a lot and then going straight to bed. I think that, you know, if, if that is your routine, where, you know, maybe you're somebody that's working really late at night, and you get home and you got to put the kids down and you know, you just don't get to eat until nine o'clock at night. I think finding some way to do something after that is, is going to be really helpful. And maybe for you, that just looks like you have how you know, work around the house to do like you need to, you know, walk around and fold laundry and you need to pick up the house and things like that. Like that can be enough. It doesn't have to be going to the gym and crushing a workout. But if you know, if your kind of strategy is to consume a big, heavy carb meal before bed, or you know, and then sit on the couch for a couple hours before bed, probably going to lead to higher glucose levels in the morning. So I, I think it's definitely worth it to get some level of activity. And if you're going to be consuming them later in the day. Absolutely. Yeah. And whenever I eat too close to bed, I'll, I'll see my aura ring scores plummet, my HRV will drop, my body temperature will increase, my resting heart rate will increase, I'll get I'll get less deep sleep. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm pretty good where I give myself three or four hours at the bare minimum of fasting before bed. But sometimes I'll have like a dinner late because somebody's in town and I'll eat like at 9pm, go to bed at 11. And it, it always every single time it impacts my scores negatively. Does it matter what food for you? Have you noticed like, is it carbs or, you know, even if you just have protein and fat, do you notice the same thing? I've done it when I was carnivore and I still notice the same thing. Uh, it's worse when I have more carbs than protein and fat, but I've noticed it even with carnivore meals. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, that's, and that's a huge thing to know too, because if you're somebody who, you know, regardless of what stage you're in, but let's say you're trying to, you know, be active in the gym and exercise and you have, you know, weight loss goals or whatever it is, like, recovery is so important to that. And a lot of times, you know, that's why people fall off is that they just their bodies don't recover very well, they don't feel great the next day. You know, if you're somebody who's forced to go to the gym in the morning, you know, you really have to wake up feeling pretty good to stick with that, you know, you can only grit it out for so long, you know, at some point that motivation fades, like we really do need to be dependent on feeling pretty good sometimes. Um, and if you're seeing like dips in HRV and, and, you know, all the like deep sleep and everything like that, like you can bet your recovery is not going to be great. And I think that's, you know, that can really harm your ability to stick with some sort of exercise program. 
For sure. And if it's happening to me, I imagine it's happening to other people too, even if you're not tracking. So it just makes sense to give yourself a little bit of some digestive time before bed. We're not really designed to eat a whole bunch of food and then go to sleep. It doesn't make sense to give yourself like all this energy and then not really use it, just lie down. And if you think about it, it takes a lot of energy to process a meal. You want to use that energy for all the amazing things that happen during sleep. So it doesn't make sense to kind of have that battle where you're using energy for digestion versus like the glymphatic system and activating your fat burning hormones and letting your heart rate variability do its thing. So it just makes total sense. Hey, Keto Camper, there's something that I do every single day to supercharge my mitochondria to help with inflammation and soreness from a workout. And that is the use of red light therapy. This is called photobiomodulation. And there's a ton of research that shows the benefits of near infrared and red light therapy. The red light therapy that I use is from Bon Charge. I simply use it 10 to 20 minutes per day. It has both near infrared and red light. And every single day when I use this, I feel ready to take on my day. So whether you're dealing with gut pain, joint inflammation, or you want to just supercharge your mitochondria, get your hands on a quality red light therapy device. And I highly recommend the one from Bon Charge. They hooked you all up for being a Keto Camp podcast listener with a 15% off coupon code. All you need to do, check out this product and all the wonderful products they have available is to go to bondcharge.com slash ketocamp and use the coupon code ketocamp at checkout to save 15% off your order. We will drop that link and coupon code in the podcast notes. Go check it out and let's get right back to this episode. You mentioned, Chris, uh, BioCoach. So I love BioCoach. I have your device here. Maybe you could talk a little bit more about what you guys are doing. I know you have a really uh, amazing mission at BioCoach and this, you got a great team as well. But what are you guys offering? Um, and how, how are you bringing this to the masses essentially to make it easier for everybody to check their blood glucose levels? Yeah, for sure. So I've been with BioCoach for a little bit over a year now, uh, com- coming up on about a year and a half. And um, as you mentioned, the mission, that was definitely what attracted me to it. Um, you know, this mission of really focusing on what I believe is, a, you know, a core problem with our health, which is metabolic health. And, you know, I think it's a conversation that's starting to be had more. But I don't think that the solutions out there are great. yet. I think there's a lot of people who are doing great work in this area. But there's so much with metabolic health, like metabolic health isn't just diet, you know, it's it's exercise, it's sleep, it's, you know, our, our stress management, it's, you know, the the actual micronutrients that we're putting in our body, it's not just about, you know, being keto or low carb, there's like so much to it. And, you know, that's, that's a big overhaul in somebody's life to be able to do that, right. And, and so, you know, now we're talking to be able to, to effectively manage our metabolic health, we have to change our behaviors, we have to change our mindset, we have to be able to be consistent, you know, all of these different things. And so a bio coach, you know, we kind of realized that this was a problem for for people and that, you know, a lot of people will, if you you know, one of our favorite behavioral models is uh, BJ Fogg. You know, he has uh, yeah. a book. Yeah, Tiny Habits. So yeah, sounds Great like you've book. read it. Yeah. yeah. And you know, he talks a lot about how, you know, motivation is a very fleeting thing, right? Like a lot of us and, and we're at the perfect time to talk about this because we're like six weeks out from January, you know, looking at the statistics, most people fell off their New Year's resolution four weeks ago, you know, in the first two weeks is when most people fall off. And you know, motivation is fleeting. A lot of people will jump can jump on a diet for you know, 30 days, they can see some progress, but, you know, they're really just not able to, to stick with it, or they, they just lose that motivation. And, you know, it's not a consistent driver, we have to at some point change our behavior and our thoughts, 
around like how we should live our day to day lives and how important health is to us. And that's what we're trying to do with BioCoach. So, you know, we have the the way our company or where our product is set up is we have uh, both hardware and software. So we have a blood sugar, actually have one here. We have our, our blood glucose and ketone meter, which, you know, we've talked a lot about blood sugar and ketones on this podcast. So, you know, we're measuring these biomarkers that we think are important for metabolic health. Now, I actually don't think the blood sugar is the best marker for metabolic health. I think insulin is actually far better. But in terms of what's accessible and being able to test on a day-to-day basis easily within your life, I think glucose is a good metric to be able to look at. So you know, we really want to prioritize giving people access to these devices so they can test. But the data is only so important. And this is where I think we, we've, we've tried to separate ourselves a little bit is that there's a lot of products out there that will show you your data. You can see your trends over time. And, and honestly, for somebody like myself, that's great. Like that's all I've ever needed because I have this baseline understanding of nutrition and I know the different lever, levers I can pull to improve these metrics. Um, but for most people, they don't have that, you know, they don't have a master's degree in nutrition and that shouldn't be what's required for you to get healthy, right? You, you should be able to achieve health within your day-to-day life without having to, you know, be a complete expert. So that's where our software comes in with our app. So you know, all of the data from this device reports to the app where you can see your trends over time. But then we actually try to help you improve these metrics. And, you know, we've we've taken ideas from other platforms that have done a really good job, like Duolingo, we think is an app that does a great job of teaching people things. So, you know, we have like a similar timeline style of feature that's built into our app that walks people through different journeys. So you can join, you know, say a 20 day intermittent fasting quest, or you can join a blood sugar boot camp quest. You know, we I think our, our blood sugar boot camp uh, actually features a lot of content from you in it. You know, and the idea is that we're teaching people to, like, what are these numbers that we're measuring? What impacts them? And how do we improve them? So, you know, we're, we're trying to provide that educational component. But then the other thing that we also do is we've built gamification into the app as well. It's, it's another thing that platforms like Duolingo have done well. Um, actually, one of the big platforms that we looked at for this was Candy Crush because um, you know, the, the addictive, addict, yeah. exactly. And that's what we thought is we were like, you know, people are very addicted to this platform. Like, wouldn't it be great if they were, you know, addicted to a platform that was making them healthier? You know, like that would be the ideal situation. That's going to be how you, you change somebody's behavior. So we've built in some different gamification strategies where, you know, you can win prizes for, you know, completing the tasks in the app, you know, and we're actually work. So right now we've, we launched our first version uh, well, our first version that we launched to the public, it's been, you know, probably iteration number, I, you know, God knows how many, but we launched that back in October. And we've, you know, used feedback from our users the last three or four months. And now we've brought that back to development. And we're working on the, the next version of the app that's going to have more robust gamification built in more robust education system, better UX, you know, things that people were giving us feedback on that we've made improvements on. So you know, we're really excited about it because we think we've already seen some incredible things. Like we've gotten stories from people who, you know, one of the other products that we sell is we have an at-home A1C test kit, uh, which is a great marker. You know, it's a three-month average of your blood sugar. So it's a great marker to track your progress over time. So, you know, we'll have people that will get the kit. You get four tests with the kit. So they'll test at the beginning of BioCoach. And, you know, a lot of those people that have started in October, we're now starting to get that next test from them. And we're seeing these crazy, you know, People literally going from being in diabetic ranges and now they've lowered it down to pre-diabetic or people that were in pre-diabetic ranges and getting down to, you know, being normal or, or at least, you know, in a more healthier range. So, you know, we're really excited about it because we think that it's it's something that if we're able to do this mission how we intend to do it, which 
And we have some different strategic partnerships that we're working on that will allow us to get access to bigger audiences and make more impact. We think that we can really, you know, we can really move the needle in this mission of improving metabolic health. And, you know, for us, we think that that's, it's the most important thing. It's, it's so widespread, this impact, you know, metabolic health is it's how you and I feel on a day to day basis, which affects our interactions with the people that we are a part of. It affects the work and the missions that we're on as individuals. It affects our economy. You know, it affects like how much money we're spending is for, you know, things like type two diabetes and prediabetes is crazy. So we think that the impact can be pretty widespread. It's a mission that we just every day we wake up and it's really fun to be, you know, part of a group that's so motivated for something like this, like the individuals um, in the company are, you know, everybody's coming together and like, you'll, it's crazy, you'll see, you know, late at night, people are hopping on and working like we have no expectation to do that sort of thing. You know, we have very flexible work hours, but people are just so passionate about the mission, which is a blessing for me, like the, the amount of fulfillment, you know, that, that I can get out of working with passionate people on a passionate mission, I think is is pretty wild. So, you know, we have a long way to go, I think, on this mission. You know, one of the other things that we're focusing on with our product is, you know, we it's a subscription service. So, uh, you know, depending on how long you sign up for it, it ranges from 25 to $35. And, you know, we're we have built into our subscription, you get unlimited glucose strips as a part of it. So, you know, that was a pain point that we got from talking to diabetics who were kind of sick of the cost of testing their blood sugar so frequently. So, you know, that's something that we put into it through the gamification that we're working on, you can actually earn rewards that can get your cost of membership down to zero. And that cost component was important to us because if you look at the populations most affected by metabolic-based disease, they tend to be lower income populations. And like we didn't want our solution to be something that you either have to have great insurance for or you have to be able to pay a lot of money out of pocket for. Like we wanted it to be something that ideally, if you do it right, it can be free, but at the most it can be you know, 25 to, to $30 a month, which even for some people like, you know, we're going to be continually trying to improve on that because even for some individuals, that's too much, right? So we, we don't want cost to be a reason why somebody can't get healthy. And that's why we've kind of structured our subscription the way that it is. So long way to go on the journey, but I think that we're, we're making a lot of progress so far. Yeah, I love, I love the mission. First and foremost, it's a very important mission. Diabetes is, um, as you know, Chris, it's near and dear to my heart. My dad died from the complications of diabetes in 2014. And the truth is this, most people don't even die from diabetes. They die from the complications of it, the degeneration of that disease, the kidney diseases, the heart attacks, the strokes, the, the amputations, the infections. It's what it leads to. But diabetes, type 2 diabetes is very, I'm not going to use the word easy, but if you put in the work there's a high probability that you could reverse it within a year, right? If you do put in the work and having an A1C meter and a glucose meter, and then having coaching and support and gamification is kind of like everything you need to make sure you're staying consistent. So you do it long enough for it to actually matter. So your team at BioCoach has been growing. I'm looking at the page now and it's um, more people than when I last looked at, but you have a lot of wonderful people on the team, really smart advisors and people that I, I have really looked up to and, and studied as well. And, um, you know, you mentioned some of the testing that you've done and, and seen, I think you said um, one of the net carbs, three net carbs, like doubled glucose, I think, was that Logan Delgado who tested that? Because I saw a lot of his TikToks doing those tests. Yeah, so that that one was actually me. Um, oh, it was but, you. but Logan, okay. <laughs> yeah, Logan is our our star content creator. So we let him do a lot of those videos. But I mean, he's tested everything. Like, when we, whenever we post a video, we'll end up getting people to be like, Oh, go test this, like, we want you to test, 
you know, fair life protein or, you know, like I, that was the one we most recently did, or you know, we want you to test diet Coke or something. Um, so Logan's been our, our test dummy. It's funny because our content manager and, and social media manager, she'll like every once in a while, she'll hit me up with a long list of things that she wants to test. And I'll always like ask her, like, are you trying to kill me? Like, I got to go, you know, <laughs> the other day she was trying to send me on like a fast food spree to go eat a bunch of fast oh, food and boy. test my blood sugar. And I'm like, I got to be honest. Is it I, worth it? <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know if I got it in me, but, um, but Logan takes one for the team and, and he does a great job. And, you know, we've had to work on that messaging a little bit too, because the important thing about testing your blood sugar and your response is that it is different for everybody. Like I've noticed, and this is why testing is so important. Like I've noticed in the past where, you know, I've had friends that have all been testing at the same time and you'll see wildly different responses from on the same foods for different individuals. Like sweet potatoes was one that I was blown away where like when I consume sweet potatoes, I get a very low spike. It's, it actually stays, you know, not too far off from like a low glycemic berry. Whereas like some people I've seen it spike, you know, to 150 after. So it really like whenever we put these videos out, we always try to say that like, because, you, you know, we'll get pushback sometimes with people being like, yeah, but Logan's in great shape and everything. And we're like, yeah, totally. Like, that's why we have a subscription where you can test for yourself because, you know, that's that's what matters. But I think it is important for people to, you know, the the testing piece is really important to me because it allows you to see sometimes we have a slow feedback on how we feel from food, right? Like sometimes food might make us feel tired or maybe it upsets our stomach. But it's not always the most rapid feedback that allows us to really understand if food is good for us or not. And I think when we test our blood sugar, you know, we can get that feedback right away that can tell us like, if your goal is to control your blood sugar, and this food is spiking it by 60 points, and it's staying elevated for, you know, three hours after you eat it, probably not the right food for you to be eating if, if your goal is indeed controlling that blood sugar. So, you know, we think that that's a good part of the behavior change as well as people being able to actually see in real time, what the impact that's having on their metabolic health. Yeah, it's so important. Uh, and you mentioned how and I agree with you, you mentioned that testing your insulin arguably is more important. And unfortunately, testing insulin is just not as readily available. But, you know, with um, a finger prick blood glucose, testing your postprandial glucose is very giving you an accurate assessment of how well your insulin is doing at processing that meal. So it's not directly an insulin test, but it's indirectly showing you what your insulin numbers are, how your insulin, your beta cells are doing at, at processing that meal. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, unfortunately, like you said, insulin is, uh, it's hard to come by. Like, you know, if you want to get it done, sometimes you have to pay out of pocket. Um, there are some at home test kits, but not super clear on the um, accuracy of those yet at this point. So, um, you know, those think, at home test kits, do they give you a result uh, immediately? Or do you have to send it in and get a result? And wait? It in. Yeah, yeah. Okay. at least the ones that I've seen so far have all been, you know, kind of like the uh, there's a lot of different testing kit companies out there. But yeah, so you have to send it in to get a result. And you know, I'm, I'm a little bit unsure if it's an, if you're providing enough blood or enough of a sample and, you know, then you're sending it in the mail. Like, I don't know for sure. So I do think that that's, you know, agreed with you that postprandial is a really good look at it because, you know, if you're consuming something and you see a spike, you know, it's not even necessarily the spike that matters the most. Like in my eyes, it really is the, I actually think it's really interesting the way that we do with gestational diabetes testing that we just look at the spike. Um, because, you know, when we do like gestational diabetes testing, we give them like 80 to 100 grams of sugar. And then if they fail that, you know, based off of how high it spikes, we like make them go in for another test. But it's like, well, under what circumstances do we think that 80 to 100 grams of sugar wouldn't have spiked their blood <laughs> right. sugar, right? Um, what matters more and, and you know, what, what is a better sign of insulin resistance and things is, is 
you know, whether or not that can come back down to baseline in a relatively quick fashion. So, right. um, yeah, that's a, that's a great point that if you don't have access to or the means of getting an insulin test done, you know, looking at postprandial glucose is, is almost just as good. And, and the goal would be to get your, your, let's say you're fasting, you test your blood glucose with a BioCoach device, it's 88, and then you have a meal, and then an hour later it goes up to like 118, then two hours later, it should be closer to the baseline number, the 88. So two hours after eating postprandial, you wanted to get close as closely as possible to that baseline number. And that's a good sign that your your pancreas did a good job at producing insulin and driving it back down. Would you agree with that assessment? Totally. Yep. I think that's the the best thing is like, yeah, you definitely want to see that that peak should be peaks, not the most important, but ideally you're looking around like the hour, maybe just, you know, 45 to 75 minutes probably is where you're looking at the peak. And then you hope by two hours that you're back down. And you know, and that's, again, there's probably some individuality to that. Like if it comes back down at two and a half hours, like, you know, probably not a reason to panic or anything like that. But most people who are dealing with insulin resistance will see that, you know, actually never comes back down because, you know, it's still three, four hours later, it's still elevated, and then they consume their next meal, and they they further bump it up. So yeah, I think once you start getting three plus hours of it not being back to baseline, that's a pretty good sign that you have something going on with your metabolism. Yeah. And if you're wondering how to get or learn more about BioCoach, the website is biocoach.io. And we'll drop a link down below. They have some information on there. They have uh, their membership prices and all the things that they offer. So you can check that out down below. I have two more questions for you. You got time for two more questions? Yep, absolutely. Okay. What does your supplement rotation look like currently? Ooh, great question. It's actually, it's a lot lighter than it used to be. Um, when I first start, started getting into health, I used to be like, you know, taking everything like wanted <laughs> yeah, to, same. <laughs> it's like any ingredient that had an interesting study behind it, that showed improvement. I'm like, let me try it. And then I started realizing like 80, 20, like there's a few supplements that really move the needle the most, you know? So for me, you know, I don't really do pre-workouts as much anymore. Like when I, before I work out, I do like to have a little bit of caffeine before, but I'll just do that by way of, you know, a little bit of black coffee before I train. And I do um, creatine beforehand. So creatine is actually the supplement that I've been biggest on incorporating back. And, you know, I started incorporating it back about a year ago, mostly for, you know, like having better joint health, um, you know, making some strength gains and, you know, improving body composition. And then, you know, really started looking into the research on brain health and found some really fascinating stuff. Like, you know, on top of there's, there's a lot of a fair amount of research looking at, you know, some short-term boosts in cognitive function, uh, some improvements in memory over time, uh, maybe some reduction in some markers of neurodegeneration. But the one that really stood out to me because I was becoming a new dad at the time was that some studies showing improved cognitive function when sleep deprived from creatine. Um, was was the specific one. And so that's to me, and there's just so many benefits to to creatine that I've found no reason to, you know, stop taking it. So I typically do, you know, anywhere between five and 10 grams a day. Um, if I'm training really hard, I'll do five grams before and five grams after. After a workout, I'll do that with some sort of protein. Uh, lately, it's been beef protein, try not to do too much dairy in my diet. So I'll usually go for beef and beef, good tasting beef protein is hard to come by. Equip Foods is the one that uh, I've been a big fan of, uh, Dr. Gustin's brand. So, you know, he he introduced me to it and it's very clean, three ingredients. So I'll, I'll take that. And then outside of that, you know, I have a couple of ingredients that I'll take for like cognitive function. So I'm a really big fan of alpha GPC. 
So I'll do uh, like I've been doing alpha GPC and caffeine, you know, whenever I work for for years, it's been a combo that's I've really been a big fan of. So typically, I would do that with a capsule. But recently, I've actually started taking keto brains, because they made a uh, nootropic powder that's like, it's alpha GPC, L-theanine and lion's mane, uh, which were three ingredients that I really liked taking anyway. And it's in a creamer that I think they have C8 MCT oil powder with it. So it mixes very easily into coffee. So I'll use that supplement before, you know, if I'm going into like a deep work session or something like that. And that's really it. You know, I'm not really doing much else besides like, you know, I'll use some um, exogenous ketones strategically. If I'm, you know, trying to get like a, a big boost in ketones for some specific reason, I'll use them, but definitely not as routine. But as far as like what I'm taking every day, um, that's really about it. It's, you know, creatine, alpha GPC and, uh, and protein. And that's, that's really about it. Well, that's, that's fascinating. That's interesting. So Keto Brains, who owns Keto Brains? Do you know who owns it? Yeah, so it's Kyle and Molly Rucker. Uh, they are uh, siblings. And I just had them on my podcast too, because they're really just, and they actually, um, Kyle was at, and maybe Molly too, was at Metabolic Health Summit last year in um, uh, Santa Barbara. So, or I guess you weren't there. I was thinking you were there, but I don't think you were. No, at that we event, won the you? award though for podcast of the year. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say, I knew that. But I wasn't so I, there. I was thinking you were there, but yeah. So yeah, I, I had met uh, Kyle there and uh, they just have a really interesting mission. Like, you know, Molly has a, a pretty great background in nutrition and she was making this kind of formula herself for a long time. And, you know, she was giving it to some friends and some clients and then they decided to, to make a product around it. Um, but it's dosed really well. Like the, if you look at like the efficacious dose for theanine and for alpha GPC and lion's mane, it's really checking the boxes there. So which is rare, you know, in the supplement space. Now, whenever you look at most like prop blend, and there's it's not a proprietary, but most times you're looking at like a finished product that has several ingredients, you know, the the ones that really move the needle are never dosed appropriately, because they're expensive. And you know, they're everybody's trying to cut corners. So um, they've done a really good job of of making it the the right doses to experience the benefits. Interesting. Okay, well, I'm looking them up here. I'm gonna I'm gonna try them out myself. How, how's the taste? Is it flavored at all? No, it doesn't really have a flavor. You know, they use like, um, I think co there's co coconut milk powder in it as well. So there's a little bit of like a coconut cream kind of taste to it. Um, when you mix it in coffee, I'd say it's kind of the equivalent of putting heavy cream in your coffee. Um, I actually will put it a little bit more commonly in like a protein shake because like I'll train in the morning and then like when I'm transitioning from like post-exercise to work, I'll just throw a scoop in that protein shake because, you know, it's kind of teasing me up for the work day. And when you put it with like a chocolate protein shake, you know, it really doesn't taste much, but it does have a nice taste when you put it with coffee. Okay, I'm going to give them a shot. And maybe I'll ask you to connect me with them if I if I like the product. So cool. That's good to know. Are you taking magnesium or no? Yeah. Oh, so I did forget uh, electrolytes. So that's that's the other one. Um, so big, big electrolyte user, especially living in Florida, and I'm a sweater. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I definitely need so the the two that I use, and I use them uh, based on the case of, of what I'm doing. I use either uh, LMNT or Element um, and Perfect Keto. So the Element one is a lot higher in sodium. So I'll do that after you know a sauna session or after playing basketball. Or if I just feel like I'm really depleted. Like if I've you know had a day where I just haven't drank much water and kind of been sweating consistently, I'll take that. And then the Perfect Keto one, I actually formulated that for them when I was working for them a couple of years ago. So I formulated that to kind of be what I believe is the right ratio of each uh, electrolyte, magnesium, sodium, potassium, 
uh, to impact the absorption of each of those because they, you know, each one of them can have an impact on the absorption of the other. Um, so I, I take that just about every day because it's, you know, I was able to formulate it to be exactly what I wanted anyway. So it's kind of uh, is perfect for me. Um, so it's been a little while since I've taken a magnesium specific supplement. Like I usually am getting it in the context of a full electrolyte supplement. But in the past, I've been a really big fan of taking magnesium three and eight before bed. That's been something that I've used, but I've, I've kind of gotten away from it. And as you say it, I'm kind of thinking maybe I need to jump back on it. I, I think it's kind of slipped my mind, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I like the stack. I like the stack. So thanks for sharing that. So creatine, beef protein, alpha GPC with caffeine. You've been switching over to keto brains and then electrolytes to kind of cover your bases there. It's a good stack. Final question is around a supplement that we didn't mention that I call vitamin G gratitude. <laughs> what are you grateful for, Chris? Oh, man, great question. I can say two things, you know, and one of them is what I just alluded to, like, I'm very grateful in this state of the world and everything to be working for a company that's on a great mission, you know, being able to wake up and feel fulfilled in the type of work that I'm doing and work, like I mentioned, with like really passionate people is something that I know not everybody's fortunate enough to get to do. Um, to actually enjoy like your work, I think is a blessing, you know, to not feel like you're working, to have to work hard to do what you do, but to be able to enjoy it, I think is is a rare thing. So I, I always try to remember how grateful I am for that, even in the stressful moments where, you know, I'm up late working and and stuff like that. And then family, like my, it's, it's cliche, but I, I have a 17 month old child, a son, and um, getting to experience like the world through the eyes of a, of a kid is really an incredible experience. It you know, you start to when you experience them experiencing things for the first time, uh, it completely changes your outlook on life, it makes you slow down a little bit. Um, it makes you appreciate your surroundings, things that you've been taking for granted, you know, living in a state like Florida, that's a beautiful state, you, and sometimes you become numb to its beauty. And then you know, with a, a kid, you get reminded frequently of how awesome, you know, some of the things are around you. So I'm, I'm so grateful for that, because it's, you know, amongst all of the the stress of of work and, you know, everything that's going on in the world, being able to have, you know, a solid family and with my wife and my child to come back to and take peace in that every single night is is really a blessing. So those are the two things that I'm I'm most grateful for. Yeah, those are amazing blessings. I love that. To live on purpose with your purpose. I mean, that is unfortunately not common. Um, most people are doing things they hate to do and they're unhappy and that makes you unhealthy. So I love that you're doing things you love to do. And it's so, it's what an honor to have a family, to have a, a beautiful young child and then your wife that's, and you live in Florida. So many blessings. Yeah. I love it, Chris. <laughs> your website is www.theketologist.com. And then your Instagram is the same thing at the ketologist. Uh, uh, share your podcast and er anywhere else you'd like for my audience to check you out. Yeah, for sure. So my website uh, is in desperate need of a facelift. It's taken a backseat to uh, all the bio coach efforts lately. So um, it's not maybe the best uh, resource right now. But Instagram is the primary one where I put out uh, a lot of my content. And then the, the podcast and newsletter is both thinking health. So I have the, the thinking health podcast that you can find on, you know, Spotify, Apple uh, podcasts, all of the platforms. And then the thinking health newsletter is on uh, Substack, and that's just a free newsletter that I do uh, centered around kind of like health philosophy. So it's really looking at these different minds. It kind of stemmed from, you know, the last couple of years, I developed a passion for stoicism. And I kind of realized that there was a lot of great stoic principles that can be kind of downloaded into your like thoughts and behaviors that can impact, 
you know, your relationship with health and your ability to stick to different health plans. So um, that newsletter is, you know, typically trying to take, you know, different areas of expertise and, and relating them back to health and giving you framework and a mindset uh, to adopt healthy principles and stick with them. So um, that's a, it's really a passion project for me too, because I, I love writing so much. Um, and it's something that I, you know, I get to invest. It's like getting to do some deep work, thinking through these, these complex things, and then trying to get it out of my brain into a place where people can, can read it is, is a fun thing. So those are the two, uh, two spots for that. Very cool. Well, we're going to drop links for that down below. Go follow Chris and all the wonderful things he's doing. And then if you see him at KetoCon, look for a tall guy, six foot three, maybe hanging out with me and come say hello to us. We would love to see you there. Chris, I appreciate you, man. I love what you're doing. I'm always inspired by you. You're just a genuine, awesome human being. So thank you for coming back to the show and doing round two with me. I look forward to more collaborations and doing some more things with BioCoach as well. So I appreciate you, brother. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on, Ben. It's always great to talk to you. And, and likewise, I always feel uh, inspired after getting to talk to you and, and hear about all the awesome things that you're doing. So yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Well, there you have it. Chris, he brought it like he always brings it. Go follow him on Instagram at The Ketologist. If you haven't listened to my previous episode with Chris on the Keto Camp Podcast, all about carnivore, it's episode 219. Go listen to that. His website is theketologist.com, but it's better to find him on Instagram. Biocoach, if you want to learn more about them, is biocoach.io. And uh, we'll put notes and re references and resources down below in the podcast notes. Share this with a friend, somebody who's doing keto, somebody who wants to do keto. You now have a really good understanding on why we want to keto flex, go in and out of ketosis, the difference between fat adaptation, keto adaptation, and all things related to metabolic health and ketosis. Reminder to go get your KetoCon ticket, $50 off if you want to hang out with me, Chris. And uh, the Keto Camp team will be there as well, Alina and Coach John, along with so many Keto Camp students. Head over to ketocon.org and use Keto Camp at checkout. And if you haven't registered for the upcoming Four Secrets to Keto Masterclass, head over to ketosismasterclass.com and register your spot. I love you. I appreciate you. I've got vitamin G flowing through my veins for you. Thank you so much for listening to the entire episode. Hey, we're going to continue showing up. You're going to get a new episode posted on the podcast every Monday morning, every Wednesday morning, every Saturday morning, and hey, sometimes even more than that. So if you are appreciating the show and our consistency as we approach episode 600 soon, please consider leaving the Keto Camp podcast a rating and review. Follow me on Instagram at the Benazzotti, TikTok at the Benazzotti. I love and appreciate you. And I'll see you on the next episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own. And this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. 
Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.